is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans, and the NBA as a whole, available on iTunes, on Audio Boom, wherever podcasts are found. You can also follow it on social media. It's at Locked On Pels on Twitter. You can also give it a like. Please do so on Facebook. Uh, it just search Locked On Pelicans. I'm your host, Jake Madison. You can follow me on Twitter at Nola Jake. I'm excited to be with you all here today after a day of like no internet for the past two days. Finally managed to record the podcast, get it uploaded for you all. And we got a lot to talk about kind of. You know, I said in the opening of, uh, a couple of seconds ago here, it's your podcast on the Pelicans and the NBA as a whole, and that's going to be kind of the theme for today's because I want to give you guys an NBA Finals preview. We finally get some basketball again tonight, Game 1 of the NBA Finals. It's been way too long, and I'm really excited. Uh, though the playoffs have kind of been boring, we finally built up to the uh, the matchup everyone wanted to see, the third uh, straight appearance for both these teams in the NBA Finals and matchup, and we'll see where it goes from here. I'm also going to talk about two prospects who I've been asked a lot about for the Pelicans to look at drafting um, with their second-round pick, 40th overall. Two guys uh, who have potential to actually be there that seem like maybe they could be good fits. I like one way better than the other. I'm going to let you all know who they are in the second half of the podcast. So let's get right into it and jump into an NBA Finals preview. All right, the third matchup between the Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors coming to a head here. In the NBA Finals, let me talk about these playoffs as a whole in general. Look, this is what everyone wanted to see I think I don't think there was any other finals matchup that people would have been really excited about and you know the way the Cavaliers won in seven games last season really heightened the stakes here because you know the Warriors are coming for blood and to avenge that and to kind of wipe that blemish off of their record and they have they're going to have the chance to and look the playoffs as a whole were kind of boring and not very fun though I enjoyed them because I just like seeing great players play but you know it was all worth it because we finally got here this is what everyone wanted and for them to get here and meet in the finals, they were going to march their way through their respective conferences and not have much trouble and just kind of tear away the tissue paper that was in front of them to finally end up the third straight time in the NBA finals. So all those who complain about how bad the uh, NBA playoffs were leading up to this, well, you, then are you excited about this? Because if you are... This was how it was always going to go. I don't think there was another way. We saw both these teams be head and shoulders above uh, the rest of the teams in their conferences, especially once Kawhi Leonard was going to be out for that series, really. There was no chance they had to keep up with the Golden State Warriors um, if you were a Spurs fan. So this is where we are. This was kind of always the plan. This seemed ordained, preordained from the the start of the regular season, the start of the playoffs when they both swept the other, whoever they played in the first round. It's been so long ago now that I've even forgotten it off the top of my head. But I'm excited. This is going to be a lot of fun. This kind of reminds me 
in some weird analogy that I'm making up as I go along here. So I'm probably going to lose it and sound like I'm rambling. And let's just see what happens. It, it reminds me of one of those games where a video game where you have like a boss fight and you kind of know the pattern of the boss. And if you execute it perfectly, you can beat them. But then you try it on like a harder difficulty level and the pattern's slightly different. And you thought you were going to come in here and know what to do. And now it's all entirely different. And that's kind of how I see the series. Both these teams know each other really, really well and know what works against the other team and what doesn't. So it's who's going to make adjustments and who's going to come out game one with some new wrinkles that they haven't shown before. Last year, the Cavs switched up their defense for the first couple of games. Well, sorry, switched up their defense for the finals, and they struggled with the first couple of games with this switching scheme, and they didn't know when and where to do it. And you kind of saw the Pels struggle with a similar thing at the start of last season, at the start of this year, where it takes a lot of communication to get that. And once they figured it out, they really can kind of contain the Warriors to the extent that the Warriors could be contained. They realized Steph Curry wasn't fully healthy and they ran him through tons of screens and forced mismatches with him switching on to LeBron James and LeBron's going to be able to take him even though Curry is a pretty good defensive player every single time. And if they come out and do that again, yeah, they're going to keep scoring and going to be able to keep up with the Golden State Warriors. But are the Warriors going to find a way to counter that and to hide Curry and keep him off of, um, let's say, whoever the switch is going to come from. So meaning I don't think you can really start with Curry guarding Kyrie Irving because that's going to be great. Now all of a sudden you have Curry and LeBron running pick and rolls and LeBron setting screens for Kyrie and maybe springing Kyrie if they don't do a proper switch or if they jump out and hedge, what have you. And, uh, you know, if you do that, it's going to hurt. So I don't think you want Steph Curry guarding him. I think you want him guarding the two guard and probably in J.R. Smith and let uh, J.R. Smith, LeBron James pick and roll try and beat you versus Kyrie Irving and LeBron James. It makes it a little bit easier. And on the Cavs side, they've got to be really worried about trying to have LeBron James keep up with Kevin Durant. They don't really have anyone else who can guard him. Maybe Shumpert, maybe Richard Jefferson, but those guys aren't going to be able to contain or slow down um, Kevin Durant for extended periods of time, not even remotely. So it's going to be interesting. You know, the tone for this series is going to be set right away. Do they have Curry on Kyrie? Because they're going to come straight gunning then. And you can't have that, but if they do, because you want to save him and you want to put a better guy to guard him on there than, um, say, Clay Thompson, then yeah, maybe it's the way to go. So it's this is where I don't envy being a head coach because, my goodness, there's so many variables and decisions you have to make. And if you make the wrong one, you're losing games. And Mike Brown wants to stick it to his former team. If you guys remember, he was the head coach. They fired him. Uh, then I think he went to the Lakers is what it was. Maybe I'm wrong on the timeline here. He's still getting paid basically by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And now he's coaching against them in the NBA uh, finals because head coach Steve Kerr isn't um, really healthy enough to be on the sideline with his back and everything. And I feel really bad for the guy because you know he wants to be there. And he kind of sets the tone and they all love him to death. But this final is going to be fun. You know, and another thing that we can kind of jump in as I'm going all over the place with this, people complain about, you know, all this, uh, these two dominant teams and having, you know, the Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green basically being their core four, and Iguodala to a lesser extent, though he's been hurt. By the way, that's an X factor. 
He shot so poorly from three. Can you really trot him out there on the court and keep missing threes like that? Or do you take him off and try and run the death lineup that still needs him now and maybe hide him on offense a little bit and play kind of four on five there and make the Cavaliers' job easier? And as I'm saying this, I'm going to somehow talk myself into the Cavaliers. No, I'm not. By the way, I'll give you the fi- my prediction on what I think is going to happen in a few minutes here. But... Um, and see, now I lost the, the train of thought I had going before I started on that tangent about Iguodala. But I got it back. So it's you can complain about the kind of all-the-star talent being there on the Warriors and then on the Cavaliers. But this is what we want. This is how the NBA makes new fans. Not with just a, a, a conference semifinals or a conference final series being intriguing and good in a close game. It's star power in the finals. Think about back into the 80s. Um, a little bit before my time because I was a little kid then. Uh, but you had Magic and you had Bird facing off against one another. No one was complaining. They weren't on different teams every year, different things like that. Um, and that you know, it, that's what built the league. And I think the league's totally okay with what's going on right now. And it's going to for- I think it kind of forces these other teams to get better. If you're Toronto, you're going to go all in on re-signing all of your guys and trying to trade and mortgage the future to add another piece. Boston's going to do the exact same thing. It's not like teams are just going to roll over and be like, oh, these two teams are in the league. We shouldn't try anymore. It just means maybe the the bottom of the league, the say like 25 through 30th, which the Pels are luckily not in right now, are going to be really bad while the, uh, you know, and it rises, creates another team that rises to the top or not. But this is fun. This is what it's all about. If you look at some of the numbers, I don't have them exactly in front of me. I saw it tweeted out earlier. But this NBA Finals matchup has more All-Stars combined than any other NBA Finals before it. That's exactly what you want. That's awesome. You have what? Curry has two MVPs. Durant has one. LeBron has uh, three, four, five, six. I don't even know. He's got a ton. But you're looking at six-plus MVPs between three guys here. This is exactly what you want. The best team playing the best team. Who cares if it wasn't competitive getting to that point? This is the culmination of everything. And I am very excited for it. So to sum up all of my kind of rambling thoughts that I've thrown out there today, and I mean, this is what happens when you don't have hoops on for a while, particularly playoff hoops. You've got Memorial Day weekend, and all you want to do is watch basketball and and talk about it, and there's nothing going on, so you have to go out and enjoy nature in, you know, North Alabama where I was, which, okay, there's some kind of joking in here, but at the same time, it would have been great to see playoff ball. But I think the tone of this series is going to be set right away. How do the defenses react? Because that's what I really think it's going to come down to. Golden State's going to score. The Cavs are going to score with LeBron James, who can adjust and throw out some defensive coverages that the other team's not ready for and can get some stops. And then after games one and two or maybe three, it's who adjusts. I don't think this is a romp for the Warriors. People think they're going to win in four games or five games. I think my, this my, I think, formal prediction here is Warriors in six, not a huge you know, leap on any of that. But I think these games are going to be a lot closer than people think. Two years ago, I picked the Warriors in six over the Cavaliers in their first finals, and people thought they were going to sweep, especially once Kyrie Irving went down. But these past two years, we've seen that LeBron in the finals will take over and win games by himself if he really needs to, and if the Warriors don't find a way to, uh, to stop him. And I think the biggest thing is going to be him guarding Durant and expending energy on the defensive side of the ball, and maybe he's not going to be able to play as well offensively down the stretch. Who knows, though? We're going to find out. I'm really excited. Finally, we're going to get a conclusion to this season, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And hey, 
maybe JaVale McGee, who's been kind of a focal point for the Warriors this series, is going to end up being the MVP and something unexpected happens. And that just sounds fun because let's get all kind of crazy with it. By the way, you could join the Locked On Podcast Network. The Locked On Podcast Network is hiring a national sales manager. Be part of the fastest growing podcast network selling the NBA channel, NFL channel, and the entire network to national advertisers. If you have the skills, the perseverance, and the game to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network, email lockedonpodcast at gmail.com with your resume. That's lockedonpodcast at gmail.com. So let's switch gears and talk a bit about the NBA draft, and in particular, two prospects the Pelicans might be looking to take at the 40th overall spot. They have 10th in the second round, 40th overall. And there's two guys I've been asked a lot about, so I wanted to talk about them today. The first is going to be Monte Morris out of Iowa State. And then the second guy, and this is the one I'm asked a lot about, actually, is out of Kansas State, and that's Wesley a one do. And that's who I particularly like. And I'm going to give you guys kind of a bit of a scouting report overall. Um, a one do in particular seems to be projected into the late first and potentially undrafted. So he kind of falls anywhere, which makes him a prime candidate for the Pelicans at 40. If he's available, I think they should definitely take him. But this is also some early on in the you know work scouting I'm doing here, starting to get caught up on players overall. So it's subject to change. But he's a guy that's definitely going to be on my draft board for the 40th overall pick. But let's talk about Monte Morris first. So Morris's guard out of Iowa State particularly played point guard, also number 11, so maybe a replacement for Drew Holiday right there. Uh, 6'3", um, which is a decent height for a point guard. You know, a little short to play the two, though not horrible. He's almost 22 years old, so he's been there for a little while. Um, so standard things. Uh, he gives you good overall numbers. You know, he shot uh, 50% from the field, um, averaged 16.4 points per game in 35 minutes. Um, you know, again, big contributor for that Iowa state team averaged 6.2 assists, gave you around five rebounds per game. So you're looking at a line of basically 16 and a half, six and five, um, has an okay outside shot, 37.8% from three though, not the best consistently, but the one thing that he does that's really well is he is, uh, able to get people in their sets and he's a pretty steady point guard. You're not really worried about turnovers with him, which is not going to be the case for the next guy we're going to talk about. You know, and he's just kind of a reliable guy. I wouldn't say he's particularly uh, flashy, doesn't have amazing athleticism. But again, he, he's a smart dude. He can make the right play. He sees the floor well. And I think when you watch him, a lot of his highlights, he kind of does remind you of Drew Holiday in that sense that, Okay, he is able to kind of do all of those things. He's a very good passer. He's not great at creating offense for himself. But when you have Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, and hopefully another scorer on this team, it's okay. He can get into the lane and um, get to the rim, though he doesn't finish particularly well there. So overall, he's got some things. The jump shot isn't there yet. But again, you're not looking at him to be a scorer. You need him to make enough of his shots to space the court and be a legitimate threat. And also, he's going to be playing with the second unit, in theory, should the Pelicans draft him. And he's certainly going to be there, uh, you would imagine, with the 40th overall uh, selection. The other side of the ball is he's okay um, uh, defensively. He doesn't really have positional versatility, which is what the Pelicans like. I don't know if he's going to be able to guard 
uh, shooting guards, two guards in the NBA that we can maybe handle most point guards. So you're not quite hiding him on defense, but certainly after some switches, and if uh, with the more creative offenses in the NBA, he could become a liability there. But the basketball IQ is there, and frankly, I don't care about age or things like that when you're looking at the 40th overall prospect. Does he do one or two things particularly well, and Monte Morris does do that, so I think it could be a good fit for the Pelicans, particularly if Drew Hall, if they think Drew Holiday is going to be gone and walking. Um, this is a guy they might look to uh, bring to the team to kind of r- play that backup point guard role because you know they're going to need to get someone else in there um, as Holiday's direct replacement. But Wesley Awundu out of Kansas State, he's a senior, been there four years, is where you get kind of really excited about maybe what a second-round prospect could be. And he's 6'7", plays shooting guard, can maybe play the three. That's going to be a little bit intriguing. Uh, but he, overall, he's a pretty good prospect. Um, what is it? Hoopshype.com actually has him going 27th overall in their mock draft that came out yesterday. But other sites have him projected to go undrafted. And his best NBA comparison that I've seen most used for him is Kemp Bazemore. So kind of that wing, that 2-3 that keeps the ball moving is kind of just like an overall contributor without doing anything particularly fancy and kind of just, again, the ball hits his hands and it doesn't stop. So Kemp Bazemore is usually his comparison. But here's a guy who might not be available for the Pels at 40. He might go in the first round. Or people think he's going to go undrafted. So it's certainly... Interesting. The the greatest thing about him is he's a playmaker um, on the wing. So when the ball hits his hand, he averaged. I, I got to pull up the numbers here because I don't have them in front of me. Again, six seven, uh, very good height. A seven one wingspan is what he's got. So he can kind of do it all. But this is a guy who averaged almost four assists per game his senior year. So he can really get out there and keep the ball moving and work within the flow of an offense. He shoots okay, fifty two percent. Overall, um, from three, it's 37.6%, but really it's not reliable. That's on under two and a half attempts per game, so not a volume shooter. And you've got to wonder that if he gets one one three-point attempt per game or two, what he's really going to do with it. So the offense and the scoring, with only 13 points per game in 31 minutes, isn't really what gets you excited. But, you know, here's a guy who can guard two positions, the two and the three, and maybe in a pinch if there's a switch uh, move on to like a stretch for Ryan Anderson type guy and defend him with that, especially with a 7-1 wingspan. Um, and he also grabs about a little over six rebounds per game. But Wesley Awundu, he's a guy who just kind of checks a lot of boxes for what the Pelicans need. Some rebounding, wing depth, a guy who can maybe be a starter one day. I think it's going to take some time. Uh, the biggest knock, though, really is going to be can he shoot? And if he can't, it's really going to hurt the Pelicans because he's got the playmaking. He can keep the ball moving. But it's that jump shot. They need court spacers with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, and you can't play four on five on offense like they did a lot of the times with Solomon Hill. And a one-do kind of fits that same mold. Yeah, he can maybe shoot the three, but he's not going to do it consistently and reliably enough for the Pels to try and... Um, space the court properly and keep the offense going. You're still kind of playing four on five on offense, which isn't what you want to do, particularly with DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis. Again, he he just reminds me a lot of Solomon Hill, but younger who maybe has a chance and uh, or a chance to develop some offensive talent. He works well off the ball. That's the good thing. He's got strong ball handling ability. Like he can actually get to the rim. He doesn't finish at the rim really well, but he does draw 
um, a large number of free throws and free throw attempts, which one I think helped the Pelicans right there. He went to the line four and a half times per game his senior year, made 76.7% of them, which is a pretty good number for college. And free throw shooting is the more translatable skill overall to seeing how a prospect's going to shoot in the NBA usually than field goal percentage overall. So here's a guy who would work. He brings a little bit more to the table offensively than Solomon Hill does. Maybe he's going to be available at the 40th pick overall for the Pelicans. So it'll be certainly interesting to see. But a prospect to keep your eye on is Wesley Awundu out of Kansas State. So that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans. Don't forget, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Audio Boom as well, wherever podcasts are found. Also, follow it on social media, at Locked on Pels on Twitter. Like it on Facebook as well. Just search Locked on Pelicans. That does make a difference and keeps the podcast coming free to you guys four to five days a week, three if there's a holiday and my internet is actually working, kind of important for uploading it. Um, you know, we all know the problems we have here in New Orleans when it comes to stuff like that. So anyway, I think you all understand. Um, so thank you all for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed the NBA Finals preview. I'm excited for the game tonight. Uh, hope you enjoyed talking some prospects. I'll have some more for you guys later on. Tomorrow's podcast is going to focus on a study that came out, study, article, whatever they, you want to call it, from Harvard uh, Sports Journal, I think is the name of it, talking about fan loyalty, rating Pelicans fans number two overall. But I don't think that's really the truth or the case here. Going to talk about why and more on tomorrow's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So, again, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Thank you all for listening, and I'll be back with you all tomorrow. Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17